0: Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes.
1: And I'm Travis Barnes.
0: And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast.
1: The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes. So let me tell you what it is it's fitness coaching and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're gonna help you get your mind right with our special guest.
0: Hello, Overcomer Nation. I am Cindy Barnes.
1: And I'm Travis Barnes.
0: And we're the founders of the Overcomers Podcast.
1: All right, today we have a special guest in the house, and it's, a, it's an amazing story. She's a true overcomer. Let me ask you this, Overcomer Nation. Are you doing the job that you were meant to do? Are you living the life that you wanna live? On today's show, Diana Ault is going to tell you about how losing a loved one was the catalyst to figuring out the life that she always wanted. Diana Ault is a no BS executive coach and a career growth strategist. She's an overcomer. And I just can't wait for her to share her story with you. So, Diane Ault, welcome to the show.
0: Welcome. Thank you so much, Travis and Cindy. It's great to meet you. I love what you're doing here with this podcast. Cause well, thank you. So many people just feel like they got beat down, and that's where they have to stay. And I am not a believer in that. So...
1: Oh, you're an overcomer. Know. You're an overcomer. Uh, yeah,
0: I guess. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm in the nation. Is there like a passport for Overcomer Nation? There's the merch. You need some Overcomer Nation passports. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. I like that. You will not have to get some passports. you will print them for people. You know, right with the shirts, right? You know. Overcom- oh yeah,
0: for sure.
1: Over Nation passport. Well, Diana, you know your story is, uh, you know, the thing that you you've overcome, if anybody overcomes it, is uh, is being widowed. Um, You know, this yeah. is a uh, you know losing thirty
0: four years old.
1: Yeah, at thirty,
0: like I was thirty-four years old at the time.
1: Definitely way young. Uh, wow. Um, can you maybe take us to that time in your life because it became the catalyst for a big shift in your life? And uh, you know, maybe maybe we can start our story there if you're okay with that. Yeah,
0: we sure can. So, um, back in two thousand nine, which feels like a hundred years ago. Um, it's about three presidents ago. That's one of the ways I explain it to people. Um. I was married. I'd been married for about two and a half years to a man named Andy, um, phenomenal human. Um, it, it always seems like it's, it's the phenomenal humans that have their life cut short, but Andy in 2009, um, was diagnosed with brain cancer. So it was very unexpected and it was very sudden and he never even got to start treatment before, um, he actually passed away. So there had been all these issues with dizziness and, you know, brain fog and all the kind of stuff that I guess goes along with having weird can- cancer stuff growing in your brain. And we had um, been trying for a few weeks to sort it out. He had to have a biopsy and and the diagnosis came back with a very aggressive form of brain cancer, usually found in children that are like five years old or younger and he was 40 at the time. So really, really strange stuff. And at the time that he got diagnosed or right before that, he and I both had been working in highly stressful jobs in IT, um, in environments that were negative. You know, we worked at different companies, but we dealt with some of the same stuff of, you know, lots and lots of politics, lots and lots of toxicity. I experienced, um, very aggressive bullying from some women that I worked with and, um, tons of overtime, like we were not spending our time together as a couple, cause we were spending our time at the office more than we should have been. And immediately before Andy went into the hospital to have the surgery, he actually had just gotten an offer for a brand new job working with some people that he'd worked with several years before. So like he was on the path of I'm escaping the ridiculousness. I'm getting out of this situation. I'm going to go work with my good friends and then boom, you know, cancer. So, and in my case, I had also a few weeks before that finally left the bad job, got a much better new job. So we were on this uptick and we felt like, yes, life is great. We're going to have our, you know, we're going to get our time back. We are making more money. We can start planning to have kids, like all that kind of stuff. And then it all got cut short a few short weeks later, whenever he had a seizure and died right before he was supposed to start training or supposed to start chemo and treatment. So yeah, <laughs> that was, um, one of those period, you ever have like the period of time where it seems like every, it's a condensed period, but it's stretched kind of like those first few weeks of the pandemic felt like five years
1: yeah right mm-hmm. you yeah. know
0: like that was my life only I was the only you know I my me and my husband and our family were the one the little bubble that was experiencing that while the rest of the world was going on more normally, but it was a, a few week period of time that felt like months and months and months so yeah
1: yeah you know thirty four yeah. years old you're you're he widow. Was forty mm-hmm. you were thirty four
0: I was thirty four and he was forty and we'd he been married 40. for two and a half years
1: so young so young to leave this world so soon, and, and so young for you to, to be widowed. Uh And I'm sure, you know, I've been in those moments of tragedy where, you know, 60 seconds seems like, you know, 60 minutes or, you mm-hmm. know, 60 hours. And, and so I can only imagine how life just kind of slowed down and, uh, you know, made you wonder, you know, what's happening to me and, and where am I going to go with this? Uh <laughs> But you describe it as being the catalyst. In fact, you know, we, We talked about that, you know, as we brought you on the show today, how losing a loved one can be the catalyst to figuring out what you want to do. And, and, you know, what were some of those thoughts as you began to work your way through all those phases of grief that you must have gone through that, you know, led you to where you are today?
0: Well, you know, one of the one of the interesting moments that happened was there was about three weeks between when we finally got the diagnosis back from my husband's brain biopsy and when he actually passed away. And I'm a person of action. Like I've had a long successful career doing a lot of big things, you know, I feel like I always have something going on on the side, some projects like I'm doing stuff all the time. And so my attitude was like, okay, well the doctors say we're going to do this and this is how we're going to do it and he was on board with the whole thing and so we were working our plan and for the most part I do optimism. Mm -hmm. So I'm not Pollyanna, but I'm like, if we're going to do this, we're going to have a good attitude about it. Mm -hmm. And so mostly I felt like this is beatable. We can do this. We can work this plan. And then there was this one day though, where I just didn't feel like this was going to pan out the way that anybody wanted. And so I went to the hospital, which was just like five minutes from my house. I went to the hospital and was hanging out with my husband that day. And I told him, I said, I don't know how to do this. If this doesn't work out, like I have this really bad feeling today. Like you're not going to make it through this. And my exact words were, um, I feel like if you don't make it the last day of your life is the second to last day of mine. Cause I can't do this. Like I, I don't know how to function. Wow. And he looked at me square in the face and said, that is the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. Wow. And so he said, your job is to live and to live well, whatever that means for you. So don't worry about what the family says. Don't worry about anything. um, But that's your job. And he also said, if you truly feel that way, call my brother-in-law and and get the guns out of the house. Because, you know, he's like, I don't want you having like, you know, we don't want to have the weapons in the house. We want to keep you safe, whatever. But he's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Your job is to live and live well. And one thing that's really unique with younger widows is that they often don't have that conversation. Um, Younger couples think they're going to live forever. Even People in their thirties and forties think they're going to live forever. So I had a conversation that most people do not get to have. And so that sat in the back of my brain and what was wild is the next day I woke up feeling again like okay we're doing the plan like this here's yeah. what we're doing we're we're working this plan and then that conversation though was very important a few weeks later when he actually died because he had a seizure ended up in the ER you know doing the CPR things that they do in the ER when you have a seizure and your heart stops and all of that And after they called him and pronounced him dead like they take you to a little room in the hospital when bad stuff is going on because they want to get you out of the regular waiting rooms they don't want you upsetting any other patients or patients families or things like that and i was literally in the little room that where they take you after that curled up on the floor in the fetal position and weirdly by myself for a short period of time so because there's people in and out but i had this moment where i was by myself and i was lying on the floor in the fetal position and i vowed to have an awesome life i had no idea how i was going to do it i had absolutely i didn't even know what it meant but i knew that that was what i was supposed to do so the conversation had happened and then the 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 worst had happened and i had to make a decision in that moment and i am not convinced that i i don't hopefully i would still be here but i don't think that i would have done the things that I've done in the, you know, 13 years since then, I don't think I would have helped the people that I've helped. I don't think that most of what I've done lately would have happened if I hadn't made that decision in that moment. Wow. What was your husband's name again? Andy.
1: Andy. Andy. Wow. I I mean, your story gives me chills, you know. Good. Good. I did
0: it right. Yeah, well, I mean, You know, that's the goal. Like, we're we're here to make people feel stuff because you don't make decisions. You know, like you don't make decisions that you need to make if you don't feel. You don't take action that you need to make if you don't feel. You want to think too, but most of us spend far too much time thinking and not enough time yeah. feeling.
1: So. Well, well, you know, I mean, I just think that uh, one. You know, Andy is a is a real hero of this story. Uh, he had he responded to. Your pain in such an honorable way, you know, telling you that your job was to live and live well. And, uh, I don't know. I'm a spiritual person, as I said. I don't know whether Andy's spirit got to touch you in that room as you had that moment. But, uh, it's interesting what is happening with Andy in one room that he's leaving this life and going on to the next, and that, uh, you're getting, uh, this moment of, uh, what I'll call divine inspiration, uh, because, you know, now you go on to change lives and, uh, you know, teach other people how to live well in their yeah. careers. Right. Uh, yeah. So amazing, amazing. And, uh, so, yeah, so that was, uh, you, you determined that your job was to have an awesome yeah. life. You know? So yeah,
0: yeah And so- I, I've had, I don't even know how many times that I've said to myself, and I've been in some low, cause like some low States, I cannot, it would be, I do not want anyone to think, oh, she made that decision and everything was fine. No, it was <laughs> not freaking fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. that was the decision that helped make things okay in really bad moments or made there be the potential to dig myself out. And there were times when I had no clue and all I could say to myself was I made this promise to myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it, but I can't stop trying. So.
1: Wow. Hmm. wow. So where did you go from there? I mean, I know that there was obviously a period of time, you know, for, for mourning and, and working your way into a uh new life, but you you not only helped yourself into a better life, but you're helping others. So so tell us a little bit about that journey, if you would.
0: Yeah, so I've been a I actually I've been a been coaching people actually since before this whole thing with my husband um passing away. So this is where I think before before we started recording, I said, you know, um, Andy's death was a catalyst to finally pursue some things, but some of it had already had the, the seeds planted before. And back in 2004, I got my first management position, you know, that very first shiny man, you're the boss position in a company. And um, what happened was. I took the part of my job as a manager to help people develop their careers really seriously. And most people don't do that. Most people are focused on supervising their staff to do the tasks. And I was working in IT with a pretty educated staff. Like they didn't need supervision. They were responsible humans. So I was more interested in how do I make sure these people will stay happy in their career and and they have an opportunity to grow? Because I've always been a person since I was really small, that wanted to... You know, try new things, learn new things, you know, do new things. And I really liked that part of my job. And my director at the time was like, you're the only one of my managers that's actually operating this way. And I was his newest manager, too. Um, And I took it to the degree of it wasn't just about upskilling so that you can do the job on my team better. You know, I can, if someone on my team wanted to apply for a uh, a job at a different company or a job, you know, in a different department, and that was the best thing for them, like I was their biggest cheerleader in trying to make that stuff happen. So I've always been really interested in people having the opportunity to just thrive at work because um, I've always identified with my work, sometimes too much, I would say, but I just feel like we spend too many hours of the day. <laughs> On our profession, like let's work shouldn't suck. So sure. let's make sure the work doesn't suck. It should feel good. Um, and then from there, I kept on serving people free. You know, like I was a part of some professional organizations here in the Kansas City area where I live. And um, I remember a, a big time frame where the, I started to get more and more interested in coaching people was during the Great Recession. So that whole 2008-ish collapse, which was like a year, year and a half before Andy died, um, there were a lot of people that got laid off. And a lot of people in my specific area of professional expertise were getting laid off because project managers and business analysts are what I worked with. And they were some of the first ones cut in the recession because like, You can't write code without a developer, but we can muddle through managing the project without the project manager if we've got to cut some people. And I just really enjoyed helping people understand that even though we were in a recession, that doesn't mean that you have to put up with BS at work. It doesn't mean that you have to put up with BS in hiring And it doesn't mean that you have to pretend like it doesn't make it a good idea for you to pretend to want something that you actually don't want whenever you're in the job market. Mm -hmm. So um, I was doing, you know, informal mentoring and sometimes presentations and workshops and things like that, either on my own or with other people. And I really loved it because there were people that in the middle of one of the worst economic situations we had seen in my career They were managing to go find jobs that they liked. They were managing to get raises. They were managing to be happier at work. After my husband died, I actually took a pause. Like, all I could really do for a while is just like tend to my own needs. So show up to my work, do as good of a job as I could. There were a few months when I was really glad that they let me keep my job that was very new because I feel like, you remember the line in Office Space where Peter Gibbons says, I do about 15 minutes of actual work a week. Okay. I felt like I had a a lot of periods that were like that, but it wasn't because I was disinterested. It was just because I was not really functioning yet. So um, I spent some time, focused on that and just trying to come back from being numb. And then um, by about 2012 or so, I was back coaching people again. And that's the point where people started saying, like, can I give you money?
1: Mm -hmm. I was like,
0: what? You want to give me money? (laughs) Is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. I just knew that I helped people. Um, And so I started taking a couple of clients here and there. Um, meanwhile, I'd also started poking around at some other things I was interested in. So, you know, I'm not the fittest person in the world, but I did work out with a trainer and I actually started doing CrossFit in about 2011 and I hate, I hate it. Like everybody (laughs) hates it. Like if you, if you love CrossFit, something's wrong with you, but I didn't like from a workout modality, I was like, this sucks, but I don't really like working out anyway. So I'm just might as well do this with the people that I like, but I got into CrossFit judging. Wow. So, you know, I had this weird, strange path where, you know, I was over 200 pounds, but I was like judging elite CrossFitters, which that community lets happen, which is one of my favorite things about it. So I had this weird lane where I was planning CrossFit competitions locally in Kansas city. And I was judging the best of the best of the best at like world championship level. And I liked it. It was just like, I never would have, that never would have happened. Well, you know, you know, but
1: it, it, to me, it really fits who you are. And it's a great part of your journey. You know, we have uh, the topics today are very applicable to our audience. Uh, <laughs> most everybody who's listening is employed. I know that we have some yep. young listeners and, and I know <laughs> that we also Eventually
0: have they'll need it. The young ones will need a job eventually. <laughs> yeah, right. Or they'll need to start their own business, so.
1: But I think it's just, okay. you know, you're doing what you're meant to be doing and everything that yeah. happens in your life, including- Uh, marrying Andy and losing Andy, you know, brought you to this point in your life to where, you know, you could apply your, your discerning uh, abilities, you know, to help others, right? And and, or judge a CrossFit competition, right? Um, I like what I read about you, where it says, she believes work should feel good, not like a long, slow march towards oblivion. I like that. And then uh, you also help People identify ways to update their work in their current jobs and businesses to align with the life they want. So, I am curious for our audience's sake, you know, as I just mentioned, most everybody that's listening is important. Maybe they feel like, you know, their work really isn't in alignment with the life that they want.
0: (laughs) Oh, buddy. That's my favorite thing. I mean, it's not my favorite when it happens to people, but helping people with that is my favorite thing to do. Yeah.
1: So, so it sounds like sometimes you just kind of help them to. this is interesting you know because to me I, I'm a I'm a business owner and and sometimes I've encountered where I might have people either leave the gym looking for uh, one that's a better fit or maybe I'll have some uh, buddy even leave employment that's looking for something that's a better fit um, but you know I had one time when I was going to church I had a pastor say, Everybody keeps going and looking for a better church instead of trying to make their church a better church. And I thought about that. And I was like, wow, that's pretty powerful, right? Like, I mean, because you mm-hmm. are like the church there and you are your business. Like, the members are the club, right? You know, so yeah. sometimes we're searching for something externally that if we made a few changes, internally that it could actually be that's totally true and
0: like i'm gonna recommend a book for people i hope you'll put it you will put it into um like your show notes or whatever one of my favorite books about that is called do over and it's by john acuff Mm -hmm. um and it's like john acuff is one of my favorite authors i've read pretty much every every book the guy has ever written and he, he first st- started off his career with this like weird little blog called Stuff Christians Like, where he made, kind of poked fun at like big me- mega churches and some of just the silly things that are part of church culture. But over time, he's gotten into like personal and professional development and helping people with things like reframing how they feel about work or building businesses or um, goal attainment. And the book Do-Over was very interesting because when I first picked it up or first heard of it, I thought it was going to be a book about how to start your career over somewhere else. And instead, it was a book about how to figure out how to start over whichever way that you want to. Because there's a lot of people that are trapped working for like a crappy boss or in a job that they've outgrown, but in a company they really like. And they feel weird about trying to fix that. They feel weird about having the conversations with their boss to say like, uh this doesn't work. Can I go apply to be in the marketing department? Like they just feel very uncomfortable with all of it. And so any tools and resources or things I can personally do for people that help them go have that conversation or identify that for themselves, um, I find really important. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people, like the last 12 months or so, you know, I had, I had always really tightly aligned my coaching work with people that were in corporate But I've also had small business owners coming to me saying, I have this job that I don't like right now. And it's uh, my company that I own, like (laughs) working too much in it, or my team is not right, or I want to go to the next level of growth. And so I've ended up doing some work with people in in that category too. But I'm a big believer that like really great work has four pillars. Jot this down, folks. So the first pillar is you're doing the right work. You are doing work that challenges you, that interests you, that that you can find yourself in a state of flow. It is enough challenge that it's fun, you know, kind of fun and you're learning, but it's not so hard or so over your head that you feel like you're set up to fail. Mm -hmm. Um, So right work. Um, For me, I like to analyze stuff and I like to work with people. So in my IT career that I had for 20 years before I went full-time into coaching, I always found myself on the line between the technologists and the business people. So it was like a secret decoder ring. And that was really good for me. And so much of what I do as a coach is that same kind of thing. I just don't focus on tech, focus on technology projects anymore. I focus on other stuff. Um, the second pillar is the leaders. So um, for most people, the most impactful leader is their direct boss. So if your boss is an ass, you're going to have trouble but really what you want from the right leader thing is two things number one a boss that's the right management style for you so a lot of people like to talk about oh you never want a micromanaging boss you know what when i was 23 years old and i was in my very first job i wanted a lot of supervision i wanted a lot of time with my boss i needed it that was something that was important to me and different people based on personality might need a tighter relationship with more guidance for their boss. Other people are like the Ronco rotisserie grill. It's like, set it and forget it. Tell me what to do. Check in with me every couple of weeks and we'll go. It doesn't matter what the answer is. What matters is do you have a match?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then the second layer of leadership is the executive team that you're working for. So if you're in a real small business, that may be the same. The CEO may be your direct boss, but if you're in a bigger company, If the strategic direction of your company is a hot mess, then you're going to have trouble even if your leader is good. Can you imagine being a person that was working at the last few blockbusters? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the whole blockbuster never did anything to try to pivot. You know, they basically let the company die off. So you could have had the best store manager ever, but you're not writing any movies. It's demoralizing to be in that situation. So that's the right strategic direction then you have the right environment. And that is all again, about how can you fit your life and your work together? So one key thing is, are you being paid fairly for the market? You know, um, a lot of times people hear, well, we can't afford such and such. Well, a company that truly values their employees is going to figure out how to build a business where they can pay people what they're worth. You know, it might be a bit of a journey, but um, you're getting fair pay. That's like table stakes stuff. You're also getting the benefits that you need. You know, some people don't need any because they have a spouse with great benefits. Some people need the best Cadillac health insurance ever because they have really bad medical situations. Again, doesn't matter. And then there's things like, um, is the level of formality at this job appropriate? You know, are, we got, are we all kind of at that gritty, you know, sitting, or, sitting around the card table in the garage doing our tech startup thing? Or is it a more formalized, bigger, you know, more structured kind of environment? Um, And can I do the things that I want to do in life? Do I have enough PTO? Do I have enough flexibility? Flexibility has been the whole conversation for the last two and a half years in the pandemic, but it's always been a thing. So that's environment. And then finally is culture. So everybody loves to throw around, this has a great workplace culture. This culture is toxic, but nobody ever actually manages to define what culture is. And culture, I define as values in action. So pretty much every company, whether it's on the break room wall or on their website or something like that, they have a few core values that they've listed, but not very many of them actually, actually live by their core values. And so when I'm working with clients that feel like they have a culture mismatch, I, I, I want to understand First off, how much overlap do you really need between you and your business? Like that's, it's a very personal thing. Some people are just like, I'd like them to not kill and steal from people. You know, other than that, I don't really care what the core values are. I just want them to not be diametrically opposed to mine. Other people want it to be really tight. So a lot of people that are in the fitness culture, a lot of people that are, you know, working at churches and nonprofits, they want tons of overlap between values. But then also like, How are those values lived out? You can't sit and say that you're an inclusive environment if you don't have policies that back that up. And if your leaders are not on a day-to-day basis, you know, kind of showing that that's important with their actions when it really counts. So that's the deal. So I work with people a lot that'll come to me and be like, I love my work so much. And then when I dig in, I find out the only thing they like is the actual work, which takes up the most time in their day. But when you dig into it, I'll look. I had a person tell me this recently, and I looked at him and I said, Buddy, your job is 75% wrong. Mm-hmm. So, this job that he'd stayed in for years, underpaid, burning out because he was working overtime all the time, boss that didn't appreciate him, all that stuff, he was staying in it because he quote unquote loved the work. And when I said, Your job is 75% wrong, Within 90 days, he had mobilized and gone to find a job doing very similar work for 35% more, less hours, the whole nine yards because now he knew what holes do I have to plug in? So
1: this is a really great topic. This is a really great topic because I think that there's many people that are in a job that maybe there's some things that they don't like about it, but they they don't really feel empowered to do anything about that. So your recommendation into how they might begin to assess it and then of gotcha. course from the assessment can come the plan is to look at those four pillars which are you know am i in the right type of work do i have uh-huh. the right leadership like meaning am i a match with my leadership and of course mm-hmm. you know if it's a bigger company is it moving in a direction i want to follow yeah. uh the right environment uh you know the level of form- formality the different benefits and things such as that and uh the culture you know looking at you know how we live it out um so once they've assessed that, once they've assessed that, let's say, let's say that they have an issue with the leadership, but they yeah. like the work. They like everything well,
0: let's, uh, let's do the simplest scenario. Okay. Yeah. Like, cause you can't, most people don't have, most people don't have the ability to change the strategic direction of a big company. Hmm. So let's say their issue is like, everything's good. Benefits are good. I'm paid well, like. Most of the culture seems really good. I like my job. My boss and I do not gel. Mm -hmm. We just don't. You got to talk to the boss. Mm -hmm. Like that's what adults do Mm -hmm. is. And so when you are going into a process to talk to your leader about how you feel like the working relationship is not what you need and try to turn the ship, you have to get really specific about what it is that you need that you're not getting, or you can't have a constructive conversation. You also have to be open to the notion that they might need something from you that you're not giving and be open to that feedback. And the way I always tell people when there's any kind of conflict like this is instead of framing things as me versus my boss, or, you know, Travis versus Cindy or whatever that is, Instead, think about what's the objective and try to put both of you on the same side of the problem. Okay. So what your boss needs is a team that carries out the work effectively and that ideally gets along and, you know, you can throw more projects out later, like basically a functioning team that is pretty happy that people aren't constantly quitting and that high quality work is happening. That's what your boss wants. So if you frame any conversation with your boss of, I think that I will be a better team member or our team will be better if we Mm -hmm. do X, Y, and Z, what do you think? That is way better than you're a micromanaging jerk. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. Yeah, that's very combative. You see what (laughs) I mean? Like you're a micromanaging jerk. And so I actually have a worksheet that I do with a lot of my private clients that helps outline You know, what is it that my client is the best at? Like you get the best of me whenever X, Y, Z is going on. You get the worst of me when X, Y, Z is going on. And you can always count on me to do, you know, these things. And so a lot of times they will fill out this worksheet, walk into a meeting with their boss saying, my goal is for us to work well together. I wrote this stuff down. Could you write down the same stuff? And then we could have a conversation about how we can make this like be awesome Um, it's a whole different way of having the conversation than what most people do. Most people are very comfortable framing themselves as the victim. Mm -hmm. And in some, like, and I don't mean to dismiss, some people are victims. There are, there are bosses out there that are toxic. There are bosses that are out there that you can't do anything right for. There are people harassing. There are people that are literally incompetent to lead others. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about though. Most people want to do a good job at work. Yeah. And so if you um, at least try to start with that, then you can oftentimes have those conversations that make everything better. And then if you decide to leave, if you decide you have to leave a company that you loved, at least you try. Yeah. You don't ever yeah. have yeah. to feel like, you know, you just ran away.
1: So good. I, <laughs> right? I, love, that you, yeah. I love that you have a formula that puts people on both sides, uh, the same side of the situation. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's awesome. I mean, it seems like every... <laughs> Every pillar that you've addressed today, I mean, it's obviously the right work is fixable by in some companies making a shift, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the office, but I want to be on the floor, I'm in the floor, but I want to be in the office, yeah. you know, like, whatever the case might be, you know, you can ask for those types of things or right work might be leaving a company culture. Um, do you have
0: ways that you advise people on how to influence their own culture? Because culture is so dependent on the people so a lot of the culture is the hardest one for a lot of people, especially if they're in a big company. But I read this really here's another really cool book to write down and put in the show notes. It's called Nine Lies About Work. Nine Lies. Nine lies about work. Okay. And so this book, you know, they um, the authors researched a bunch of things that we always hear about work, like you know, what company you work for matters. Well, one of the things that they found is that a lot of times, even in matters of culture, the team you work for matters more than the culture that you work for. In other words, there's like a high degree of variability between teams or departments in a big company into how well culture is lived. So if you work in a department where it seems like the leadership maybe doesn't get the value that you want the most Mm -hmm. improvement in then that could potentially be another reason to pursue moving to another team or another boss or, or trying out something new because, Hey, I want to learn more about what it's like to be in a team that truly does value this thing that I value.
1: So. Yeah. You know, I think you're, I think you're so right. Like, uh, because one, sometimes you could even work for a company and you know, I, I like their values and I, I like maybe how they live them out. But then I get stuck with, uh, you know, my main coworkers, you know, they kind of, they dump on me and that doesn't yeah. seem to be like that. There's the, always
0: that one guy.
1: Right. But right. <laughs> I know
0: I've probably been that one guy, you know, yeah. but sometimes you just have to figure out, um, cause the, you know, the, the, the five or 10 people that you work the closest with, like that's 90% of your day for most people. Sure. Um, and so sometimes the way to get more exposure to a better culture or a better environment is to transfer. You know, that can be really hard for some people in certain roles, but I spent a lot of my career in tech and I didn't really care what product I was building. You know, I mean, it's great when you get to know a product and the market really well, that's all fantastic. I was a product manager for many years. And if I had, if I decided to go back into corporate, I probably would work in either marketing or product management because I really loved it. But if if one product team has a lot of people that have gone really negative or that I feel like they're not valuing the same things that I value or whatever else is contributing to um, the environment being poor, then I can go work on another product. <laughs> like might take a little while to transfer. I might have to wait for an opening, but um, that's an option. And I've seen people do that. So I have worked with a lot of clients that came to me because they wanted to do you know, Hey, help me with a job search strategy. I want to dust off my resume. I definitely want to leave Acme Corporation. And then when they really dig into what they like, they find out, Oh, I could transfer to this new division. And Mm -hmm. and then they are happy as clams for a long time. I just had someone that I was very surprised that's on my client list that emailed me to say he was going to be interviewing for an internal role. And I did not ever think I would hear him say that. And he's super excited about it. So Yeah. Very
1: cool. All right. So I, I like the fact that we we started off someplace I didn't really expect this to be, which is, <laughs> you know, you don't have to leave your work. Sometimes the answer is to you know, instead of looking for a better job, make your job a better job. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's awesome. Um, then there are those that you're helping, Diana, that need to understand what their ideal work was. In fact, uh, what I read about you was that, uh yeah. Help people identify ideal work for them and execute an uh, effective job search strategy. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you how what let's say that I'm listening to this podcast, Overcome a Nation. Right. Let's say that I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if uh, any of those four pillars will work for me. I, I just don't think I'm doing the right thing. Maybe it's time for a shift uh, completely. Um, where do they begin? Where do they begin?
0: So where they begin, I do think that really sitting down and getting very specific, you know, whether you journal it out or, you know, do voice notes to yourself or hire a coach or whatever it is that you do, but you go get really specific about what is and isn't working in those four pillars, So you have to see where you're at before you can start to move forward. You know, the GPS has to know your starting point before they can tell you how to drive to Disney World or wherever the heck it is that you want to drive. Um, And then what I like to do with people, especially on finding what the right work would be. um, One thing that is a real pet peeve of mine is that so many um, career coaches they just go have people take a million assessments that spit out job titles. And my background in tech is, I mean, tech is so fast moving that if someone developed an assessment three years ago that spat out job titles, well, there's like 50% new job titles now anyway. So it's it's not relevant anymore. So what I do is I work with people through a process where we dig into their stories and we dig into their talents. So the only assessment that I use is Clifton Strengths. I'm a certified Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder is how a lot of people know it. Um, coach. And she's we just are you she's a, a, she's a wooer. I'm a wooer. Are you are you a woo? And i uh, have you I guess am. what I, I am. This'll be fun. I'm
1: action-oriented. Uh, I don't stop at red lights or something like that. I forget that. Oh my gosh. That's, that's hilarious. That's so right. you're
0: you're a woo. Well, I like to work with people on like, when were you happy at work? So there's, there's a lot of writing or if people prefer to like record a little video, but I want them to process information about what is and isn't working for them. So I have people write stories up about, you know, when were you really happy working on something? And for some people, if they've hated their job for years, they might have to think about like a volunteer activity that they did or you know, a project they put on at their church or something else they did. I've had people figure it out from jobs they had in college 25 years ago, what they should be doing now. Um, And then look at talents. And then there's a, a strong networking component a lot of times to what I do. So whenever I'm working through things with people, we start with the whole universe and then we narrow down based on what people like. And then when we get to a certain point where we have a few options, I will very often suggest people go find someone that does that job and go find some people that hire for that job and come back and tell me, do you think that that's suitable for you? Well, you can do, I mean, like it's great to have a coach and I love working with people, but I can only work with so many at a time. You can do this yourself. Right. Um, And then basically, the most important thing though is to throw away everything that you have been holding on to and just for a hot second be open to the idea that the answer might be that you're going to move from being a cpa to a yoga instructor i've never had anybody do a change that was that big but if you at least allow yourself to dream for a little bit then it can be really helpful and once we get um some of that information you know together we start getting our arms around what people like to do Then we start applying practicality to it. Like, okay, yeah, you found out that this is a job title you're interested in pursuing. Are you going to have to go to school for six years to do it? Because if you're telling me that you want to be a doctor, we also have to find you something to do while you're going to go get qualified to be a doctor. You know, you've got to have an interim plan. Or if you're telling me that you want to do something that only makes $25,000 a year and you have five kids and you're single, like we got to, we have to put, reality on top of it. So I work people through this process in one of my programs and they come out with one to three job titles to pursue and then actually be able to target their job search. Um, so often we hear people that are desperate to get out, but if they've been laid off, they'll feel desperate. Or if they're in that situation where like, I just got to get out of here. I'll take anything. When's the last time you saw a job posting that's had the job title of anything?
1: Right. experience right. we don't
0: care <laughs> don't so,
1: anything experience we don't care
0: literally that doesn't exist
1: that's great so
0: um i'm trying to take people through a process where they can get to a goal that they can put their arms around and then move forward i'm
1: gonna ask you a question oh. and maybe you have an example of it in your own life um but i think that often we're misled you know when When we're first born, like that's, that's the closest to probably who we are that will be for a long time. Right. I
0: love that.
1: (laughs) Right. Cause like, you know, we're just like, you know, we're looking around the world and we just have feelings about the world and there are, there are our own feelings. Right. But then we grow up and there's expectations put on us, yeah. you know, you'll do this and, and, you know, it could be the views of your peers or parents or whomever those influencers are in your life. And, um, you may find yourself way off track. You may find yourself as a CPA when you were meant to be a yoga instructor, right? But uh, do you uh, have any uh, stories about that or, uh, you know, any methodology as to like, you know, how to kind of break free from that for those that are like just so, uh, you know, they've been doing what everybody else expected them to do. There's, make there's, a
0: couple, there's a couple of things. And honestly, like I work with a lot of people that are in their 30s, 40s and, er- and usually early 50s. Like they're still kind of on a career growth thing Um, they've got a long time to retirement. They're not just trying to ride three more years before they can collect their social security. So there's a couple of different ways I have people think about that. Um, number one is I am a big fan of the side hustle, Mm -hmm. huge fan of the side hustle for a few things, for a few reasons, and not even necessarily about money. So one of the reasons I love people doing a side hustle, whether it is starting their own thing or whether it is working for somebody else part-time is that you can build skills and try out things that you were interested in in a low risk way. So if I had to do it over again, I would have either taken part-time work or maybe even tried to do a full-time transfer into marketing before I went full-time in my own business because I found that I did not know enough about marketing And in this kind of digital coaching world space that I live in, most of what people, most of what the online business coaches try to teach you is not marketing, it's sales. It's all about the funnel, right? Mm -hmm. So if I would have spent some time learning marketing, I would have been much better off and I'm actually taking the time to do that right now. And so I'm going back and rethinking a lot of things in my business and how I approach, you know, the world with my business. So... Um, you can do the same thing to scratch an itch. So if you're the CPA that thinks you should be a yoga instructor, um, keep your cushy, like well-paying CPA job, stash as much money as you can go get your yoga teacher certification and start teaching yoga. Yeah. Try it out. And then, so you can try it out. Mm-hmm. And then while you're stashing that money, you can figure out, you know, can I live on less, um, can I figure out how to scale up a business? Is there something about me being an accountant and a yoga instructor that's special? And maybe I turn that into a thing that nobody has ever even thought of before. But yeah, right? Like you just made a really good face at that one.
1: Yeah, well, because, you know, I, I know that the, the more narrow the niche, uh, often the better off you are because, you know, that's something that nobody else is doing. It's not a, yeah, especially if there's going to be a good demand for it, you know, there might not be, yeah. a good demand for doing is it there something,
0: okay. is there something special? Like for me, I I started out like one of the things in my career, a lot of, there's a lot of people that work in HR and recruiting that like to crap on career coaches that haven't been in recruiting. You can't possibly coach anybody. if you. Well, here's the thing. Yes, there are things I don't know, but I also can learn. Like that's one of my top Clifton strengths. Number two is learner. And so what I choose to do is put the recruiters and the HR people on the same side of the problem as me. Because we all want people to be happier at work. So one way for me to do that is to actually listen to the expertise of the recruiters that my clients are going to have to deal with at some point in the process. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that I do. So I just look for opportunities to learn Mm -hmm. and, um, I look, I, I suggest to my clients to take opportunities to do things on the side, or if they're, if it's not quite so far apart as accounting and yoga, ask for opportunities to do something different. There's honestly a lot of people, especially if they're in like full-time corporate knowledge work jobs, Um, which is mostly what I work with, marketers, software developers, project managers, product managers, that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of them can really shift their work more than they think they can by having the right conversations with their leaders or by kind of banding together with their whole team and saying, well, this detailed administrative stuff, Cindy loves that and she crushes it and I suck at it. So, but I'm really good at some of the strategy and like customer interview stuff that Cindy just hates. Like, can we realign our jobs a little bit and let Cindy lean into what she's good at and let me lean into what I'm good at? Those kinds of things can happen too. And even if you are in a situation where you know you want to exit a company, how much benefit is there for spending six months in a current team trying to get a little more skills in something that you know you want to be a major part of your next full-time job?
1: So good. So good. You know, this is really awesome information for our audience. And, uh, you know, you're clearly doing what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I'm sure that a lot of like what you help people uncover is their passions, right? You know, right. just like, you know, this, this, you know, what are you passionate about? If you just feel like, you know, so lost at where you're, yeah. where you're at, you know, like, is it that yoga thing or whatever it might be? Um, how do people, how do people get to work with you? What, how do they get
0: to work with me? Oh, this is my favorite question. So, <laughs> um, so I'm primarily doing one-on-one coaching right now. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is you can email me at Diana, Alt, Diana at Dianaalt.com. So you can put that in your show notes, or you can go to, um, my website, which is dianaall.com and go to the contact us page. That's another option. I'm also all over LinkedIn. So I post content, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook right now are my primary platforms with a little side of Instagram. I'm a Gen Xer. So I joke that I'm too old for Instagram, but, um, you can find me on any one of those platforms as well. And typically just shoot me an email and let me know what your question is. And then, um, depending on what's happening, I may have you book a call with me because I, I basically do a free call to figure out what's happening with you and are we a good fit for coaching? Um, that program I described where I take people from like, you know, the, the world is your oyster down into one to three um, possible job titles. That's like my favorite program to do with people. Um, but I also have programs to help strategize job searches and things like that too. So I, I get on the zoom with people, figure out where they're at, which one they need. And then we go from there.
1: There it is. overcoming nation. So, if you're looking to maybe make your job a better job or looking to just find out what the heck you're meant to do, uh, maybe you should reach out to Diana. You know, I yeah. won't say maybe, I'll say reach out to Diana. <laughs> uh, any final words for our overcomer Nation, like such as, uh, you know, life is too short not to be doing what you love, or what are you tell?
0: Uh, that's you? really good. I like that one. So I'll let you have said that one. Here's the thing I'll leave people with. What you want matters. I think so often we are, especially parents, we are like, we got to keep the kids happy. We have to keep the boss happy. We have to keep the spouse happy. We got to keep the friend happy. We are focused on everybody else except for what we want. And you sure do not want to get to be 40, 50, 60, 80 years old, never having done anything that was for what you wanted to do.
1: That's so good. That's so good. Well, Diana, thank you for being an overcomer and thank you. you for being on our show today. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you.